course, do uh, continue, of course, later and be in prayer for not just our junior campers, but um, the counselors that are with them. If you've not ever been to junior camp, there's nothing that is quite that exhausting in life. And so it is extreme. And so if you have a few kids, just imagine that times like 200 all the time with candy and screaming and just... I'd have permanent ear damage from junior camp, and so just be in prayer for them. Mark chapter 10, start reading in verse 17. The Bible says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful this evening to be in your house and thankful for your blessings and no doubt this evening as we come to the prayer service, we have many needs to bring before you and those that are dear to our heart here that have needs and health issues and all sorts of issues that we need your hand at work in. And as we think of the junior campers and VBS coming up, and we're just asking for you to be at work. But God, right now we're thankful that we can be gathered around your word and hear from you, and we ask that, uh, that we might this not just be a formality, uh, but that you might speak to us this evening. Lord, we're thankful again for the opportunity to come to your house. We love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are probably familiar with the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and has, uh, of course, many possessions, the Bible says, uh, and he had made a life of success for himself. We don't have a lot of context as far as uh, how and what and when and why he was rich and, uh, and, and what kind of a ruler he was. We can speculate, of course. Uh, but he comes to Jesus as this person wanting to procure eternal life. That's what he says. Uh, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? Now, of course, many people read into this because we know the passage and we, we know what's happening here. Sometimes we read into this and assume this is 
uh, either a hypocritical question or he's coming as many others have come to Jesus uh, and looking to trap him in something or to somehow trip Jesus up. Uh, but really from the information given in the passage, uh, we can only surmise that his question was really, how do I get eternal life? You with me here tonight? All right, we can question that, but that's, that's what he asked, and that was his desire. There's nothing to indicate necessarily that he was entirely insincere in his desire. Uh, we don't know what his other motivation he might have had. And of course, he doesn't know who Jesus is really. Uh, he falsely refers to him as a good teacher. Uh, but he's there with the heart to be accepted by God, at least in some sense. You with me here tonight? And he claims to have kept the law from the time that he was a child. That's what he claims. Now, of course, once again, from our perspective, uh, having the book of Galatians and Ephesians, we understand this is something very impossible for him to have done. And we understand that, that would, uh, that's a ridiculous claim to have been made. You with me? He, uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, you know, what should you do? You ought to keep the law. You don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Don't kill. Don't steal. Uh, in other words, keep the entire law. And he goes, well, yeah, no, I've got that part. Don't worry about that. Now us looking back, we go, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, that's the whole point. You couldn't have. Uh, but from his standpoint and from the Jewish mindset, his perspective was, no, no, no I have done my best to keep the law. That's, that was my obligation. And as far as me versus other people, I've done pretty good. Now, of course, he misses what Jesus is really getting at here at this point. But from his perspective is, no, no, I've done the best I can to keep the law from the time that I was a child. But look at what he says. He says, but what am I missing? Uh, what, in, in the other passage, he goes, uh, what lack I yet, if you were to read the Luke account? And Jesus comes and says, oh, okay, here's the issue then. Let's go here. Let's get to the heart. You being a good man with your moral superiority, what if you had to give up your lifestyle for the good of others and then live as I do and follow me? And he goes, I mean, for a Jewish mindset, he goes zero to a hundred. He, he goes from, well, you should just keep the law. And for the Jew, they go, well, duh, that's the point. Yeah, we, He's coming to him and going, what do I do to get eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, keep the law. And that's all that they knew. That's what any Pharisee would have told him. Uh, that was the understood practice. That was uh, from his mindset. That's what he already knew. And Jesus goes right from that and goes right to the heart of who this guy was and says, okay, you've kept the law. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come live like me and follow me. This is a, and sometimes we miss this, but that's a huge span of information. You with me? If somebody comes into church today, and maybe you, you don't know the Lord, and you come in and you go, okay, so how do I get this Jesus? And if I said, well, like, you know, be a good person. That's the equivalent yeah. phrase. Just be a good person. And most people would go, well, yeah, I'm a good person. What do I lack? Okay, go home, sell your house, everything you own, walk on the streets and preach the gospel. They would go, whoa, what, what? there's a big gap there. <laughs> Is there a middle ground? Can I, can I sell a few things? I mean, what? 
But what Jesus is doing is he's going right to the heart of the matter. He's going right to where this man was and right to where his heart was at. He, this man wanted to be a good person. He wanted to be a law keeper. Uh, he wanted, in other words, some additional spiritual act that would raise his standing. And we don't have time to go into this, but in the Jewish mindset, of course, the more righteous and the more holy you were, more likely that God would bless you and that you would be healthy and, and prosperous. And that was their mindset of godliness. And so his idea of what can I do to raise my standing is really something that's going to increase him in some way. And he's not looking to decrease. He's looking to increase, if you understand and so Jesus saying, sell everything and live like a homeless person and follow me around is not at all what he's looking for. And to him, the idea, this, this ruler, to him, the righteous were people that were well off. They were blessed by God. Uh, they had their cake and ate it too. And, and we don't really know all of what he thought at this time, but we do know that what Jesus says here is the idea that you would sell what you have and follow him, that you would give up material and life blessings in order for godliness and even eternal life. To him, that was a deal breaker. That's a no-go. And it's really an interesting thing. And of course, we could spend the whole night speculating on what goes through a man's mind when he says, how do I get eternal life? I mean, a home in heaven for eternity. To avoid hellfire. How do I avoid that? And when he says, we'll give up life's blessings, he goes, no, too high of a price. We could speculate on how that works logically in the man's mind, but the story goes on. And Jesus says, as this man leaves, he goes away sorrowful because he really wanted eternal life, but he wanted his money more. And so he's sad. He's bummed. He didn't get the deal he was looking for. You ever do that? You ever check out a deal online and you think, oh, I could talk this guy down in this car. You show up and he's firm. And you leave, man, I didn't get a good deal on that one. That's kind of what's happening. He's going to Jesus. How do I get eternal life? And the price was too high. And he goes, ah, oh, bummed. I didn't get that eternal life today. All right. So Jesus moves on and Jesus starts to declare that, that this particular account of what's happening here is not an, an anomaly. That this was typical from Jesus' perspective for the rich. Uh, as this man leaves, he says, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Even talking about how uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, pay attention here because those here that have this world's blessings and are rich, those that are powerful, those that are the top of society and have everything this world could offer, they are going to be the hardest people to ever get the gospel. He says, I mean, it's, that's where it's the toughest he goes, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. If you've ever tried, I would imagine it's difficult. I'm not giving it a shot, but, I mean, maybe if you ground it up, I don't know. But I don't think that's what Jesus is thinking. <laughs> and he says, rich people hardly enter the kingdom of God. It's difficult for them. He's getting to the idea that it's difficult for the rich 
to grasp the idea of what it means to come to God as a destitute sinner. And he's coming with this connotation that, that those that would come to Christ are those that are willing to put their whole life in the hands of Jesus, if you understand. Uh, there's this uh, fundamental shift in the way that somebody has to think where so often, and I don't know if you thought this way before you came to Christ, but the idea of religion, at least for me before I came to Jesus, was it's a good thing. And if you add religion to your life, you're more likely to have the scales tip in your favor when you get to, get to those gates. And so add a little bit. Put a little in. You know, Try not to lie. Don't kill anybody. You know, no hit and runs, that kind of thing. And, and if you go to church, man, you get an extra couple gold stars, and maybe it works out. And so Jesus is preaching, no, no, that's not how it works at all. When you come to me, you have to lay everything down, be willing to forsake every notion of how you might justify yourself righteously, and come destitute to me, as if you have nothing already. And because of that, Jesus says, the rich have a hard time with that. Because to them, they have. They have righteousness. They have wealth. They have security. They have what they need. And to come and be willing even to sacrifice, pooh, that's off the table. Those that have safety and health and security and comfort are not necessarily looking to get rid of those things. Or as coming as though they might have to. But as he would declare here, those that live day by day unsure of their future or their well-being find it much easier to trust the Lord. And even here, we could go into here and look at maybe a twist to this story and be honest with ourselves and realize that maybe we are all really in the category of the rich tonight. And we could talk about that. We've got it pretty good in the grand scheme of things. Uh, we've got safety and modern medicine and financial security and comforts galore. Uh, and so often, really, the idea that we would have to give up any of those things for the cause of Christ uh, seems preposterous to us. And I don't know if you've ever thought this, but sometimes maybe you joke about this even amongst ourselves as Christians. And we go, imagine if Jesus called you to go live in Africa in a tribe and sleep on the floor. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Yeah, we would never do that. Because even the idea that we would not live the common, typical uh, 21st century, first world country lifestyle is, is almost ridiculous to us in a lot of ways. And I think sometimes we have to come to the Word of God and realize that probably from God's perspective, as He looks out on the world, we probably all fit into that category of the rich where we've got it today and Christ's idea of what he wants from our lives might be to maybe even give up some of that and the Bible talks about they that are rich fall into a snare and a temptation and of course we know we have to be careful not to let that dictate how we serve the Lord but what I want to get to here tonight is that the reality is that many of us, even though maybe from God's perspective we're pretty well off, many believers have given up quite a bit for the Lord. I mean, I, I imagine in this room, if we were to go around, I would imagine everybody here probably has something that you would say, yeah, I've had to sacrifice for God. 
I, I would imagine, um, the, I'm not going to give personal examples here, but I would imagine uh, for all of us there's situations that you could talk about that have taken place uh, to where you've suffered hurts or maybe you could be way better off financially. Uh, maybe you've had to go through tough times in your family or with your children or in so many different areas so that you could do right. Uh, we don't know. Many, many have suffered loss and endured fires because they're going to do right before the Lord. I would imagine there's many examples of that here in this room. Just the idea that you're here on a Wednesday night. Uh, sometimes we don't maybe even recognize uh, from the pulpit the idea that in, in our world today, in order to be in church four times a week, that takes a little working in your life. I don't know about you, but I work here, and it's difficult to get enough time to come. <laughs> you with me? I mean, I understand that in your life, it takes a little bit of sacrifice just to show up in a lot of ways. Your work schedule probably would like many of you to be working right now or on Sundays or uh, there's a million things at the house you can do or there's family uh, endeavors that you just don't have time to do otherwise and you're, you're sacrificing those things. I know that even just coming, for many of us, it takes a sacrifice. And no doubt we could go deeper into that hole and look at how much maybe has been given or sacrificed financially and uh, in our families and, and so much. And this is where the story continues because Peter gets to this point. As the rich young ruler leaves and uh, as he's sorrowful because he doesn't get eternal life because he's holding on to these riches and he won't give up the things in his life and Jesus declares that the rich hardly enter the kingdom of God, Peter all of a sudden pipes up as Peter likes to do. And in verse 28, it says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. If you know Peter, that's just such a Peter thing to say right there. <laughs> Jesus is declaring how the rich can't enter the kingdom of God because they're, they're holding on to their riches and this man's sorrowful and he's not going to get eternal life. And Peter goes, oh, we've left everything, Jesus. Did you notice that? Hey, Jesus, did you see us over here? We totally gave up our whole lives to follow you. I know, yeah, that guy over there, what a joker. He would not give up anything. But we? Come on, Jesus. I don't even, where, where's my fishing boat even at? I don't know. I have got a clue. I didn't even pack a bag. You see how much we've given? We talk about Jesus, uh, Peter's mother-in-law. He goes, I left my mother-in-law. I don't, didn't even care about her. She's back there. I'm real broke up about it, but here I am. <laughs> he says, that, that rich guy, he wouldn't, he wouldn't sacrifice for you. He loved his possessions and his comforts too much. But we, Jesus, we've given everything for you. And of course, we all know the attitude here, the, the look how much I've given attitude. And I bet we all have one in our life that no matter what they've given, you know they gave it. Okay, If they made dinner, you heard about how long it took them to make dinner and how hard it was and how they slaved and how hot it was today and how many 42 things they did. You have those people in your life. If, they, if they're going to give you a ride to the airport, just be ready to hear about it for the next seven years 
about how they brought you to the airport and how rough it was, and how, but they were willing to give for you because that's, that's what Peter's getting at here. Jesus, look at what we've done. Look at, and understand here, uh, Peter's not informing Jesus. <laughs> Jesus already knew this. He knew exactly what each disciple had given up to be there. Uh, Peter's idea here is that he's kind of positioning himself with his sacrifice. In his mind, it's the idea that uh, the rich man's trying to be rich and raise himself up with his idea of, of what godliness and success and, and spirituality is. And Peter's now coming and going, yeah, see, he don't get it. He's down here. And we're up here. We're awesome. We're, this, we're the ones who sacrifice. There are the look how much I have people, and there are the look how much I don't have people. And the attitude is really the same. The attitude is, look at me. <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. The idea here uh, is so much about the focus on self and what I have, or in other words, what I don't have. And so Peter, look at what we've given. And then in verse 29, Jesus answers him. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And so Peter uses this uh, a situation to try to declare to Jesus how much he's given. And so often we get that feeling in ourselves. Man, God, look at how much I've sacrificed to do what you've called me to do. Uh, look at what I've given up. Oh, I could have been making this much money if I would have went this route. Or I could have had this pleasure if I would have denied you. Or, or I could possess this or have this or not have to give this of my time. Uh, look, God, how much I've given for you. Or look, God, uh, man, this evil befell my life and I faced this trial and this health ailment and this situation. And, and man, it, it became hard in my life in this place and I didn't forsake you. Look at what I've done for your sake, Jesus. And sometimes we get that feeling. Man, I've given a lot. And I don't know about you, but I've had, I've had that before. Where I thought, man, I've kind of I've given a lot. I kind of... There's been some times, in other words. And Jesus' answer to Peter about that... Is, is the truth that nobody has ever really sacrificed for him. Jesus declares that there's nobody that has suffered real loss for him. Do you see what he says? He says, nobody's given up. N no, you don't understand, Peter. Peter says, I've sacrificed. Jesus says, no, no, no. Peter, you don't get it. You haven't actually sacrificed. Every sacrifice, whether intentional or by lot of life, he says, is accounted for by me and blesses beyond what you can imagine. He says a hundredfold. That's a lot of folds. You with me? 
Peter goes, listen, I've given up for you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, you're missing it. You really haven't. Because what you're getting is a hundred times anything you could ever give. In fact, everything that you will ever give or ever sacrifice will be accounted for in detail and you will be blessed in like manner a hundred times more. You don't give anything, is what he says. Not only does he count each loss and reward and gives a hundred times, but it's something that's going to be worth it. You ever... Uh, you ever get a prize that wasn't really a prize? You ever get sucked into a bad deal? Uh, it wasn't too long ago that uh, me and Ashley got uh, sucked into one of those free cruise deals. You ever been one of those, right? Where they go, just come to this deal. You get a free cruise out of it. And w- when you walk away, you go, that was not worth it. The drive to the deal to listen to your pitch was not worth it. That's how bad it was when it's all said and done. It's, it's a free cruise, and you just have to pay the $400 for the taxes, and you'll get what we'll give you is this little hole in the side of the kitchen, and you can bring your spouse. There's one twin bed that you guys can sleep in. The food's not included. You know, it's one of those deals where when you're done, you go, not even close to worth it. It sounded great, but it was not at all. And sometimes we think that. Of, of when Jesus says, listen, no, no, I'll bless you. And sometimes we think, okay, yeah, but what does that mean? We read about it. In heaven, there's crowns. I go, you know what I'd like more than crowns? Uh, is not have to worry about how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I'll t- if you can give me one less crown. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that way. But I kind of do. When your car breaks down and it's 100 degrees and you're sitting on the side of the road sweating to death, you're going, I, don't, I could not care less if I have seven crowns or six. I really could not. I need a car that gets me to, that's what I need right now. And maybe you've been there and we start to think, that it, there's no way that today's sacrifice is going to be worth it. We can't even understand what could possibly be given. But if we understand who God is and really how mighty and how powerful uh, how much he understands who you are, we think, man, how could God ever give me anything? He created you. He can invent things you wouldn't even know you want until he gave them to you. And there's not going to be a single soul on Judgment Day that's going to go, oh, that's, that's all this worked out to be? I totally would not have given that for this. Nobody's going to say that. Nobody's going to say they got a bad deal then. Nobody's going to say they got robbed. Nobody's going to be disappointed with how they're rewarded for their sacrifice to the Lord. That's not, and here's what's amazing is God doesn't even have to do this. God has given of his own life and he sacrificed his own life for us so that we could be saved. And if that's all that he ever gave, there would be nobody that could ever say, that's a bad deal. You get eternal life and not hell. So really, if it was just that, you got a good deal. But he, doesn't, he says, no, I don't have to, but I'm going to make sure that no matter what, even if we don't account that part of it, which is a pretty big part, he says there's still going to be nobody in heaven that's going to say, I've given anything. He says, you're not going to give anything. Because in, in Ephesians 5, 2, Jesus declares what he is. 
He says, Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And here's the idea. When all the dust has cleared, Jesus wants to make it totally and completely obvious that he's the one that has sacrificed. This is important. He wants to... Jesus is the one that has declared that he is our savior. He is the sacrifice from the beginning of the Bible to the end. It's a story about the coming Messiah that would die for your sins and reconcile you back to himself. And the entire message of the Bible is that Jesus is the sacrifice. And he says, I am not going to allow anything to happen that would detract from that. When we, get to, when we get to judgment day and we all stand in, in, in heaven, it's going to be very, very clear that I'm the one that has sacrificed for you, not you for me. Isn't that awesome? I don't know if we can gather and grasp really what that means. But when it all no matter how much you and I have given or sacrificed or suffered here for him, when we get there, Nobody's going to go, wow, man, Chip really sacrificed. What a great sacrificial servant that's given up. No, no. It's all going to be about his sacrifice. It's all going to be about, wow, can you imagine how much God has given for us? Not In heaven, we're not going to be the ones lifted up in praise for our sacrifice. We're going to be the ones that are rewarded a hundredfold. In other words, if you look at our lives in heaven, objectively, it's going to go, man, they got overpaid. That's what it's going to be. In heaven, and you're standing in this mansion in the streets of gold and blessed, apparently crowns, and who knows what miraculous things. The angels are not going to go looking at us and go, wow, they really sacrificed. They're going to go, how, what, how did they get all that? I got six wings and four faces. It's ridiculous. Nobody in heaven is going to be looking at us and go, look at how much they gave. What a martyr. Oh my. No. It's going to be you're overpaid. Why? So that in heaven for everybody to declare whether all of creation, whether they exist in heaven or in hell, will all understand very, very clearly that he was the sacrifice. Not you and me. It's a wrong perspective, in other words, for you and I to walk around with the mindset that we've given something for God. That's the idea. It's a, it's a, it's a wrong perspective for us to come in and act as if we're some martyr that's sacrificed and given and, oh, my life is destitute and I could have had it so much better, but look at what I've given for the Lord. I tithe and give to missions and I... I could have a better job, but I said, I'm not working Sundays, and here I am, and oh, I've given so much. Jesus says, no, that's the wrong perspective. You don't get it. You will have, when everything is accounted for, you will have given nothing. Those that say, I've given my whole life to serving the Lord, and, uh, and this is what I have, and so often, and I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes in my life, you, you take account of yourself of how much you feel like you've given to God and how much you've received today. And it's easy to get the mindset of, man, look at how much I've given to God and this is how he repays me, this is all I get. 
Come on, I imagine some things have happened in our lives where you're struck with tragedy or hardship happens or family troubles or finance, whatever it is where you go, man, I've served the Lord. I've done my best. I, this, is, this is how God repays me. I couldn't get a little, couldn't get a bone here. And sometimes we get to feeling that way. I've given my whole life and, and this is it. And the reality is, is that it's, it's just such a wrong perspective. We're not the ones that have given our lives. He gave his. And even if tonight he were to take our very lives, we're the guilty ones. And he the innocent. And Jesus so clearly wants you and I to understand that he's the one to declare his love to us. He's the one to declare his sacrifice to us. He's the one that's died for us. He's the sacrifice. He's the Savior. And nobody's taking that title from him. So when you go, man, I've given a lot, God, God's saying, no. You just wait. You will have given nothing. Your God isn't the one who asks you to give for him. He's the one that's given for you. I don't know about you, but that's just that thought here, even today as I was getting ready to, uh, to preach this here, I was just so thankful of, of all the different religions that demand so much of people that even though the Bible says, listen, count the cost, what he really says is, listen, when it's all said and done, you give nothing for me. I want to give for you. That's our God. Isn't that awesome? And as we've gone through this series of forget you, if you will. No doubt many have been reminded of, of their sacrifices and what, they, what they've given, whether it was financial in order to be faithful to God or the struggles in your marriages and uh, the suffered of, of health ailments or tragedy or discouragement, even though you've served the Lord and you thought, I, I've given a lot. And it's easy to get the mindset to think, man, I've given so much, God, why am I not blessed why is my sacrifice not rewarded? Why do I suffer when I've given so much? And I know there's countless scenarios where it's difficult for us to understand. I know there's countless scenarios where it's impossible to comprehend that what we suffer here will one day be worth it. But here's what I want you to understand. This is the truth of who God is. God will never be in our debt. It's just the truth. There is, there is not going to be one scenario you say, I can't imagine how what I'm going through today could ever be worth it. Can I tell you something about God? He's going to make sure it is. Because <laughs> he is not going to allow anybody to stand before him and be the one that sacrificed. He's the one that sacrificed. He's the Savior. I know it might sometimes seem impossible, but God will not be in our debt. He's the sacrifice. In other words, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And so the point of this is there's so much going on in this passage. Uh, what Jesus has to say here in this idea of sacrifices is Peter's response to this rich young ruler in the idea that, man, haven't we given a lot? And Jesus wants us to understand, no. In fact, in fact, your goal is, is the idea here. 
give, you could give any more, it's probably the best investment you could come up with. <laughs> I don't know if you know of any investments that return a hundredfold. That's a lot of folds. There's not many, many, many investments that have that kind of return. I don't think Bitcoin in its heyday had that kind of benefit. Jesus is saying, get the proper perspective. I'm the sacrifice. You're the one that's blessed. You say, I have it bad. Today. Today you do. One day, you'll be overpaid. So, and one, have, have the understanding that you're, uh, who you are and who God is and, and what's going on in the grand scheme of things and understand he's the sacrifice. But then endeavor to just give more. Endeavor to have the heart that, God, I trust you, and if there's anything more I can give, man, I know I'll, I'll receive even more. And trust that he is who he says he is. If he's going to be the Savior, if he's going to be the sacrifice, then we can rest assured, we can be comforted that whatever we've given as of yet will be nothing compared to what we receive. Stand to our feet and pray this evening. Heavenly Father, God, I'm so thankful.